Oh man, hello ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to the best podcast in the world. Welcome to the best podcast in the world. My name is Open Mike Eagle. Welcome to Secret Skin. And like I said when I was singing, this is the best podcast in the world. You know how I know? Watch this. Hey world, is there a better podcast than Secret Skin? If there is, uh, make some noise right now. See? In um, in science, they call that science. I'm down. If anybody, if anybody wants to have a podcast battle, we can battle. You know what I mean? If you want to go like uh, for upload speed, consistency, anything except audience, that's not fair. It's secret skin, y'all. Got some rap dates coming up I want you to know about. I'm in NYC this week, this Wednesday at Baby's All Right. I'm also in Philadelphia and Ithaca this week. You can find details at MikeEagle.net. Because soon after that, I'm going to be in Denver and Portland and Seattle and Hood River and Bellingham and London and all over the UK and Amsterdam and Germany. And all of that is true. So if you live at those places, come holler at me. And uh, remember, come to the merch table and whisper in my ear the word scuttlebutt. So I can teach you the secret skin, secret handshake for people who enjoy secrets. It's a secret handshake. I've taught it to about five people now. People who uh, have come to listen and learn handshakes and say scuttlebutt in my ear. Hey, my son's here. Uh... Hey, so you want to say hello? Say hello into the microphone. Hello. What are you up to right now? You got to say something quick. It's oh. freezing up, huh? Um, I'm getting ready for bed. It's a good call. See? Here in the closet, we tell the truth. This is the best podcast. We also fumble over words. This is the best podcast in the world. And Asa is indeed. Getting ready for bed. We, we are the Kabuchi family. <laughs> we are the Kabuchi butt family. Yeah, that's his um that's his favorite word right now. We don't know what it means except it's a negative adjective for something. But apparently it's also a term of endearment. Dad, you Kabuchi butt. <laughs> <laughs> Alright, say goodnight to the people. Good night, my peoples. <laughs> That's my little buddy right there, man. Anyway, you guys come learn a handshake. And uh, the season finale for the greatest podcast in the world, which is this one, if you forgot. It is next week. Okay, I have a very special guest. A very special guest this week, too, in fact. My man Baron Vaughn is on the podcast. <laughs> you know who Baron Vaughn is, Asa? What is, you have to say words. You can't shake heads. You have to say words. Do you, do you know who Baron Vaughn is? He's a great person. <laughs> <laughs> Once again, truth from the mouth of babes. Oh, you're calling me babe, you kabuchi butt. All right, it's quite enough with the kabuchi business, okay? 
Uh, what I got next here? Hella Personal Film Festival. A new album is out right now, so go get it at your local musical retail place. Get it anywhere except illegally. That's what I don't want you to do. But uh, Baron Vaughn's on a show this week, man, and uh, me and him have a conversation that is the kind of conversation which motivated me to start this podcast in the first place, before I knew it would be the greatest podcast in the world. And uh, we talk about personal history, tragedy, trauma, anxiety, and what all of that means growing up in a black community, what that means for our lives today as entertainers. One of the most uh, enriching and cathartic conversations we've had here on the program. I really appreciated it. And uh, Asa's still here. Does Asa, you got something else to say? Because you said goodnight already. You got something else for him? You're awesome. There you go. That's right. You are awesome. This is Secret Skin, y'all. We're going to get into that talk with Baron Vaughn right now. Catch him on Grace and Frankie on Netflix. And our show together, The New Negroes, if you're in L.A. All right. And this is Secret Skin. There's a secret radio hour. Can you sing along, Asa? Yeah. You got to sing with him. Here we go. Here we go. There's a secret radio hour. Yeah, you got it. Okay. One more time. Here we go. There's a secret radio hour. Oh, I can't even give that up yet. One more time. Come on. There's a secret radio hour. <laughs> you missed the words up that time. All right, y'all. See you after the interview. Secret scam. Yeah, secret scam. <laughs> let me get a. Uh, let me get words from you. Bone, 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 bone. Tell me what you're gonna do when there ain't nowhere to ride. When judgment comes for you, and judgment comes, and tell me what you're gonna do. Oh, oh I thought you were gonna do that part. Oh, no, I, th- I thought we were gonna do it together. Let's so. all give it up for Charlie. Easy, he's Uncle Wally. Well, the boot with guys got him, and I'm gonna miss everybody. I'll roll with bones, so my gang's had to look to the way they lay. Playing with destiny, play duty for me to say. Little Lazy came to me, told me if he should cease within, please. Better you by my grind, grind, and when you can, come follow me. Uh, th- yeah. Were those the real words? I, yeah. That's dope. Yeah. Um, we're here at Baron Vaughn's house. Hey. Doing a little bone karaoke. Uh, <laughs> I used to actually know at one point all of the words to the song first of the month. I used to be very into that song. As was I. As was I. Because Did, it very much I was like, oh, this is what my mother <laughs> This is what my mother is going through. That's what I thought. Oh This is what we're going through. Yeah. yeah is that yeah. we do not know where the rent is coming. Yeah. yeah every yeah, single yeah. at the end of every month we're like, oh shit, we got a week. At the end of every month growing up. You grew up in Vegas, right? Yeah, Las Vegas, Nevada. Oh, man. Like, I have no idea what it's like for a human to grow up in Vegas. And neither do I. <laughs> Yet well, I was there. What was it like? Vegas is... Um, and if you live in Vegas, I apologize for what you're about to hear. <laughs> it's a, it's a weird-ass place to grow up. It is a essentially vomit in the desert. Mm. that turned into a city it looks like that too and it's like that's why there's nothing around it it's like bleh, like the sky threw up and mm. there were just like bright lights in it or it looks like a giant uh, japanese mech warrior threw up because the, the vomit is very shiny and tall yes shiny and chrome <laughs> yeah. and emerald green mm-hmm. 
Um, but it's just um, we moved there in '89. I want to say from I where? In, uh, New Mexico. From New Mexico. From even desert smaller, to desert. Yeah, but in New Mexico it snowed. I was in northern New Mexico. Okay, wow. A little town called Tucumcari. Now is that is that north of Santa Fe and all of that? Um, you know, I never really had a, a sense for Got where it. any of that was because I was five, right? right? <laughs> People are like, we're going to Santa Fe. And I'm like, that must be a million miles away. <laughs> and to this day, I just never looked at a map. I was just like, I don't need to know how far that shit is from everything else. Four-hour drive. How, so, I mean, how did, how did this, how did this um, family of black folk even end up in northern New Mexico to begin with? Okay, well, I'm glad you asked this question because this is the thing that I'm trying to put together myself mm. because it's like I am at this point in my life. I'm 35 years old and I very much have been replaying and rethinking a lot of what's happened in my childhood. Right. Because I'd actually never took it into account, which resulted in. I'll, I'll, I'll say a lot of emotional problems. Okay, I, I'm right there with you. Buddy. Okay. So I started going to therapy as didn't a, know as, as did I didn't know black folk could do that <laughs> I have a joke about it it's like we're not taught about depression in the black community oppression totally <laughs> oppression is like we're taught about that you know and it, it's horrible but it does bring us together because we'll be out in the streets it's the man he needs to be stopped and people clap they're with you right but depression is you alone in the bathroom mirror looking at your face so long it doesn't make any sense anymore and you said oh my god I'm the man and I need to be stopped mm. But no one is there because you're alone, even when you're with others. High five. Now, that's why that joke never did well, because people are like, is this comedy or poetry? Um, but it, there is a rhythm to it. There's a rhythm it's to tight. it. But started going to therapy. So I'm like kind of replaying these things from my childhood and kind of seeing how little information I actually have. And it, at, I, we talked so little about the past, I didn't even know we weren't talking about it. Dang. So it's like now I'm just like, I wasn't told things, and I just thought maybe it was because they weren't interesting. Right. And now I'm seeing that's exactly why I wasn't told. Because it was very interesting. Because it was very interesting. My goodness. And I'm little by little putting things together, and I've, I'm dreading a conversation with my mom about these things. If I ever need to have it, who knows? I might not even need to have this conversation. Are you? Hmm. Well, Are but... To quickly answer your question, sure. question though, somehow we got from North Carolina and Tennessee mm -hmm. into Oklahoma, and those are the people that were in Oklahoma who at some point went to New Mexico. Like Grapes of Wrath, we just kind of stopped there. Actually, my great-grandfather, I think he was born, um, he would have lived through the Oklahoma Dust Bowl. Got it. He would have been there as a child, and I knew him. My great-grandparents raised me. Your great grandparents. My great grandparents. Now they raised you in that they were primary caretakers. Yes. Interesting. Yes. So what happened to those two generations of parents between great and you? Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I know little pieces of information. My mother had me when she was young. Right. And she was nineteen. She was in college. Got pregnant, and then it changed her destiny. Right. And I actually do not know the details of this. I just kind of know when I remember from where I remember, which is that I didn't really meet her until I was like six ish. You didn't meet your mom till you were six. Yeah, like okay. five or six. Okay. And she, because she was in school, and I think that oh, she was also it. working full time to support herself while going to school. Got it. So it took her like six years to complete it. Now, your great grandparents were taking care of you at that time. In that in that time, they were taking care of me. Were were you, was it were you the only child in that situation? Yes. Wow. Yes. Um 
when your mom came back into your world, did she just take over permanently? Yes. Okay. It was kind of like, I'm out of school, and then we, like, I want to say, from the moment I remember her walking up to the door, and I remember looking at her and being like, oh, that's my mom. But, like, also, like, I didn't know her, but I knew her. I was like, oh, I know who that, that's my mom. That's mom. You know, like, the psychic connection at least felt that. Even though I was like, but I don't really know her. (laughs) That was the other thought that it happened. And then I, I'm telling you, within a week from that, we were living together in New Mexico in a little house. She had probably already set things up unbeknownst right. to me. Right, right, right. And then came and got me. And it's like, we're moving. Like, I didn't know. Nobody told me until the week of, like, oh, you're going to go live with your mom now. And I had no time to, like, adjust. Adjust, yeah. And it was just like, guess I'm living with mom. <laughs> hey, stranger, uh, I'm your son. Uh, <laughs> been alive for a little bit. Uh, <laughs> nice to meet you, though. You seem pretty cool. Uh, you smell great. And that it was me and my mom. And then at some point we moved to Vegas. Got it. Because my mom mostly grew up in Vegas. She like went to high school in Vegas, like school in Vegas, and then spent the summers in New Mexico. I didn't know this. And also the New Mexico thing, my grandmother's mother, my great grandmother. And I didn't know this until after people had died. Mm. My, the man I knew was my great grandfather was not my biological great grandfather. Oh my God. Baron, we have such a similar story. It's crazy. Is it getting crazy? Okay. So I didn't know this. Mm -hmm. My grandmother had a husband. I mean, my great-grandmother had a husband who was my grandmother's biological father. Uh, Come again? Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) Because there's great-grandparents. So there's like four four generations I'm talking about. Layers here. Mm Great-grandparents, grandparents, grandparents, parents, and me. Got it. Right? Mm -hmm. So my grandma... Her birth father was a man that none of us knew. Got it. At two years old, my great-grandmother, this is the, I'm talking about the 40s. She divorced her husband and moved from Oklahoma to New Mexico to be close to her sister. Wow. So she was a divorced, single, black mom in the 40s when none of those were popular alone. Jesus. All at the same time, right? So then she met a different man. That's the man I knew was my great-grandfather. Got it. But I had no idea my grandmother had a completely different dad. Like, no one had told me this. And then her and her husband weren't together as I grew up. I met him once when I was, like, seven. Mm-hmm. I met him once. That's it. Never saw that guy again. Who was Heard this about again? Him. I'm getting this lost. My, exactly. Okay. No, no, no. I'm, I'm, I'm following though. I'm right. I'm this is my, behind you. This is my grandmother's husband, my grandfather, Got my it. mom's dad. Got it. My actual grandfather, who I didn't know at all. Right. Met him once, and now I think it's because, or I see it's because some shit went down, mm-hmm. and my grandmother had to get out of that marriage, and took my mom with her somewhere else quickly, possibly. Ain't it crazy how in black families. Not only does shit go down regularly, but we don't talk oh, about it. It gets swept so we do swiftly not under the talk under about various it. rugs. This is and this has been like my personal mission in the last year to speak about mental health from a perspective I don't hear any black person talking about mm. it from. Because I don't hear any comedians, black comedians that is, talking about this kind of stuff. So I not I was not like you know, I'm just trying to talk about it, trying to give voice to it and see who connects to it. Right. And I'm finding out a lot of people do connect to it. Yeah, I mean. And because this stuff is, and I'm seeing more and more articles and books written about like mental health in the black community and we're not talking about this 
we're not talking about this stuff. And and my my, my family was of the ilk of pray it away. Mm. Southern Baptists. Good grief. Southern Baptists, like serious Southern Baptists. Like there's only one day a week you're not at church. Right. Like that that thing. Wednesday is my not church day. That's my day off from church from Jesus. Wow. But like that kind of stuff. So there's silence, 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 silence. And now I'm being like, oh, all this weird stuff happened. That that fucked up this person. That messed up this person. And it trickled down to me, and right. now I'm, I'm. That's the stuff I'm putting together. Do how much of that do you think informs your perspective and your work and what you write? That sort of mysterious origin, kind of upbringing. I was left to my own devices a lot as a child. Oh gosh, yeah, me too. And it's it's latchkey stuff because mm-hmm. it was me and my mom and my grandmother in Vegas. And it, first, it was me and my mom and JJ. That's why I called my grandmother. Came later. But it was me and my mom, and she was working a lot, as much as she could, to make ends meet. So when I got home from school, she wasn't home from work yet. Right. And it was just like, she just kind of explained it to me, like, look, you're going to need to be okay from right. this two hours. I just need you to be okay for two hours, and I will be home. Mm-hmm. And I was like, okay, I can manage that. One time I set a fire, and I put it out changed the trash bag and never <laughs> talked about it i was just like you know i kind of i kind of want to burn up a paper towel i do i did that I let did me see that. oh let me just put that in the tr- whoa that's yeah. right fire what am i what was i thinking and i was like in third grade i'm like okay water hmm. <laughs> how do you get rid of this I, mess? yeah and i cleaned it up <laughs> right and it was just like i took out the trash mother that was the <laughs> <laughs> and i mean i took it out like i assassinated it <laughs> and uh that's how i played that off but I was left, left to my own devices, had really no guidance, and people weren't talking about stuff. And then also my mother's got her own issues right. that she's putting on me. Of course. Unbeknownst to her. She's projecting. She's putting things on me. Mm-hmm. And, and I don't understand that. I'm a child. But you internalize that stuff and it becomes, it, it sets up the language that you understand how to speak about these emotions. Right. It, it sets up how you speak about love, what you expect from it. So it's like that stuff is like the other stuff, like seeing some things that I've done in relationships over the last couple of years mm. and being like, oh, well, I see what I'm doing so here. what kind of behaviors does that manifest itself in? Conflating uh, anger and love. Hmm. Thinking they're the same thing. So my, mo- my mother loved me through adjustments because she was very probably angry about the situation that she was in. Mm-hmm. That came out of decisions she made out of rash places, emotional places. And again, can't blame her for any of this because she was in a messed up situation herself. Right. So that resulted in her making a series of decisions that resulted in me being alive. Right. And then her having to pivot her life around that as a, as a black woman by herself, right? At the age of 19, 20, we're talking about. Right. And then... When she gets me back and coming back into my life and just having this anger about me being there and reminding her of a guy that was like, peace. Yeah, so what was the situation with with dad? Yeah, he was, as far as I understand, and again, this is all legend. This is all apocryphal. It's all lore. It's all lore. I've put together pieces of little tomes and I once opened the drawer and saw the picture and <laughs> opened a book and there was a love letter and I was like hmm there was a bag of stones beneath the bed the plot thickens <laughs> stones with different letters on each stone and I put them together and it spelled Kenneth 
It was a guy named Kenneth. Mm. That's as much as I know. And I saw a picture of him that I don't remember. As far as I know, he wasn't a nice dude. I think he was angry. Right. And he was in his situation. Now, was he in college as well? Did as they far as I college? know. Okay. So that's the thing. It's like, I've been told they met in college, but does that mean that they just met in the town? Right. Like, was he a local that was hanging out with, like a townie that was hanging out with? It, it was New Mexico. Right. Everybody in that town couldn't have been a kid that was in college. Like, there's <laughs> plenty of kids who just live in that town and they're like, oh, new people. Right. New people my age. Let's go hang out. So he could have been a local. Could have been a townie. I think he was in school, though, with her. And when he found out she was pregnant, he was like, I'm out. That's the story I've been told. Is it exactly what happened? I don't know. But to them, it's he said bye. Does your mom, even now, how does she react to questions about history? Well, real quick, though. That's the reason this guy bounced and I look like him. And I start to act like him, according to, I think, my mom's mentality. Hmm. I'm becoming this other guy. So it's almost like she's trying to raise, to not raise the dude that did to her what happened to her. Right. But then has this anger at me, maybe, and doesn't want to feel that, feels ashamed that she feels it. And then she had to, to get a substance to make that feeling go away. And then that was the second part of my childhood, mm. where it's just sort of like, ah, I have someone who is abusing a substance because of whatever's going on and I'm their child. Right. So that sort of upbringing is what I'm talking about. But again, now I'll say just real quick, her and I are in good terms. Like Great. we have a good relationship, but I'm seeing now that still these things that happened were informative mm-hmm. and formative. Right. I was in formation. <laughs> All these things happened. And so it's like, oh, I see what the things that I've taken on that I thought I hadn't t- took on. Questions about the past. My mom, how's my mom react to them now is what you asked, right? Yeah. Um, you know, we had a very open talk when I was in my 20s about our ch- my childhood, our childhood. And we did some healing. That's why we're good now. Mm-hmm. But... I think it's time for maybe a second stage of that Got it. because I'm actually starting to see, oh, certain things of how they affected me. And I'm curious about the things that happened to her. Like I said, I'm only putting lore together and I'm seeing, ooh, all of these things makes from what I know about human psychology and how people get messed up. All of these things make sense. I need to talk to my mom and see what happened because I'm just curious and I kind of want to like, I don't know, help her release that stuff that mm-hmm. makes any sense. Um, we don't, we still don't really talk about it. Right. Everyone is so, she lives a life where she is so concerned about the present because it's still that check to check living. Yeah. It just messes people up. They cannot think about anything outside of a 30 day radius. You got to think about surviving. It's that survival mode. Mm -hmm. It's like, if I don't get this in there this month, I'm, I'm going to get, I'm not going to be in this house next month. Right. You know, or the phone's going to be off or the lights are going to be off, that stuff, and she's still there. I think that she, it's not as bad as it was, but when it was bad, that's enough for her to like double down that means of thinking hmm. and still, it, it still kind of has a reflexive effect on her life today. So having been raised first six years of your life by your great-grandparents, mm-hmm. then you're with your mom. Do you see your great-grandparents a lot after that? Um, my great grandmother passed away when I was in seventh grade, mm-hmm. and my great grandfather 
passed away somewhere after my sophomore year of college. Got it. And that was actually that conversation is the is the conversation that started me and my mom actually talking to each other as people for the first time ever. And me kind of I had in college faced some stuff about her that I couldn't face before and I was like, "Ooh, it's time for forgiveness in this situation." And her and I started to heal. Um but uh wait, what was the question again? I'm well, had you, had, you, had you seen well, what I'm what I'm wondering is, yes. you know, your life changed pretty drastically from these two central parental figures to your mom coming back in your life and being, you know, and, and going in that direction. Right. Were you disconnected from them in a way from that point forward? Yeah, there was a disconnect. There was a disconnect because we left New Mexico for Vegas for greener pastures right. because it was the fastest growing city in America. And she correctly assumed that she could get a job or two if she needed because there was a lot there's a lot of work going around. It was a cheap cost of living. So we doubled down on that. And I think also I'm wondering if mom wasn't into church. Mm-hmm. And I think that she, the biggest thing that she wanted me to get out of was the church. Wow. And I don't think that the church worked for her. I think that she saw maybe some, some darkness or deception that she was like, oh, this is a messed up situation. There's like hypocrisy going on here. Um, and wanted to get me out of that. Because once we moved to Vegas, there was no more church. This is how our our stories mirror each other. See, mine, first of all, is that my mom, I was with my mom the first six years of life. But then she got into some weird stuff and she went away. Mm. And so then I started, my, then my grandparents started raising me mm-hmm. after that. So... From the time I'm six to like 13, I'm with my grandparents. And that's who I, in my mind, they raised me because when I was with my mom, things were very chaotic. Right. Um, and my mom, to mirror what you just said, always ran towards church situations. Like, would away from the family that we knew, but towards these really weird, almost culty church situations like mm. a few different times in life. Okay. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. And my mom ran away from it. Yeah. She, work became her church, I think. Mm. I think that she maybe had a touch of workaholism. Got it. And because she was so nervous about money, that's the mentality I'm saying that hasn't gone away. Right. She knows to the grindstone yes, all the time. Very, very nervous about money and very, very nervous about having enough of it. And, um, yeah, and I think that she kind of ran towards that, which opened her up to some other things to deal with that because she, I think she was working herself to the bone and then she didn't know how to deal with me and mm-hmm. her feelings about our situation and just kind of was like, I need to get out of this. So then something else became her religion. Escapism, got yes. it. So, so from great-grandparents to mom, mom uh, is present but emotionally the... There's a lot of contradiction. Yeah, the relationship is, is not completely beneficial there's dissonance right so and then she goes off on whatever other trip happens as well Mm -hmm. um what do you begin to connect to since there doesn't seem to be much stability around like what do you connect to when you start to inform your own identity around wow that is an excellent question i know Well, it's just that I appreciate that the the sensitivity that you have, mm-hmm. 
probably because of the similarities that mm-hmm. you're sensing. And it's like comedy. Yeah. It was TV, growing up with my great-grandparents who did love TV, and there was this, because you know what, there were like, there was this glut of like black sitcoms, like that right early 80s, mid 80s, yeah, yeah. where it was just sort of like after the Jeffersons and Good Times, which were still on, some of right. that was still on, then they started spinning stuff off like Amen. Right. And they loved Amen and 227. And yeah. they love 227. How about like, like what's happening? In what's art? happening? Yeah. What's happening now? Exactly. Give me a break. Give me a break. Give me a break was so huge. And it's so not ever talked about now. But that yeah. was a big deal. I just with some people the other day and they were talking about Nell Carter and give me yeah. a break. And I was like, they're like, yeah, remember how this theme song changed? I'm like, no, I don't. It did. It I did. don't remember that. It but got so smooth jazz 80s. Yeah. It was like, yeah. give me a break. Me and then it was at the end of it, it was like, and you're giving me a break or something like that. It's <laughs> so like, all right. Okay, Nell. She wanted to show that she could sing. Yeah, she was so talented. Yeah. Anyway, her feet's too big. That's a Fats Waller song that mm-hmm. Nell Carter did. Um, on Broadway, don't worry about it. Anyway, <laughs> I started to kind of grab it. So because of that, growing up on those on that TV and the connection I actually felt with my family, TV kind of started to feel like family. Yeah. The more disconnected I got from my mom the more I kind of went into a TV world. And TV was important to her too, so we had cable. Yeah. And I think that she kind of saw cable as the cheaper babysitter for me. Yo, I'm <laughs> right there with you, man. She's just like, well, he does sit in front of the television. That occupies him, seems content with that. Could hire a babysitter and have him read. <laughs> <laughs> or... <laughs> I could get this cable going on, and I got some shows I want to watch too. Right, right. right. Oh, did you have a? Um, did you have your own bedroom? Okay. Yes, at first. Okay. It was me and my mom, and then after a while, my grandmother moved in with us, got it. who was also in Vegas. So, who'd you share a room with at that point? My grandmother. Did you guys have a TV in your own room? Yes. Yeah, I did too. It was a TV in our own room, my mom's bedroom, and the living room, mm-hmm. and a VCR connected to each. Hey, yo, I'll go you one further. Okay. We had a TV in the kitchen. Oh, okay. We had a little TV <laughs> up in the corner. Did you grow up in, in a house? Kitchen. I grew up in an apartment building. Okay, but you had, okay, TV in the kitchen, the, the apartment. TV in the kitchen. You know, I think if we had, I don't know if we ever had the room for that. We my mom either. does. My mom does now. She does now. We didn't either. Our kitchen was half the size of the kitchen we're sitting in right now. Well, okay, what, what, how clean was your house? Well, okay, our house was, other than me and my Little me and my sister shared a room. Yeah. Other than that room, our house was pretty clean. Okay. See, my mom, we were very messy. Okay. So there was always clutter everywhere. Got That's it. why there wasn't room for a TV. There could have been if we were tidy as a family, <laughs> but we were not tidy at all. It's just everything was a mess and like cooking things and leaving it out for three days and oh, stuff yeah, like that. No, no, yeah, my grandmother would have flipped. <laughs> well, my grandmother cleaned for a living. Mm. She was a custodian. So she wasn't really trying to be on that at home. She wasn't when she, because she cleaned a school. Right. And she was like not messing with cleaning when she was not at work. Right. And then mom's maybe always in the middle of a freak out. And then I was distracted by television. My grandmother was like TiVo before TiVo. Because when she moved in with us, I think the agreement came, because this is again stuff that no one ever told me. No one's telling me the details of rent and shit like that. Um, She came in and was like, um, we, I will, I think she said, I'll pay for cable. Mm-hmm. She and in. she put it in, and I'll buy TVs and VCRs. Wow. Because she wanted to 
she taped so much stuff. She would just watch these tapes, mountains of VHS tapes in her bedroom. My grandparents used my grandparents used to do the same thing. They used to tape. Gotta watch my stories. Soap operas every day. Soap operas every day. Damn soap operas. I mean, and it's crazy to think about too, because I okay, I think I'm a month older than you. Okay, and, and we you know we grew up literally at the same time. Okay, and it's crazy to think about how many soap operas there used to there be. There were so many soap operas. There was like two, three hours, I feel like, of soap operas on like three different networks. Young and the Restless, Every The Bold day. and the Beautiful. Yeah, Santa Barbara. General Hospital. One Life to Live. Another Time Happens. <laughs> do you remember that there was a black one? No. They tried to do a black one. No. It was called Generations. Oh, yes, I do. Yeah, man. The moment you said the title, <laughs> I was like, Generations. I remember that for five seconds. Yeah, that's all Because there's all these... All these great black theater actors in New York that were just sitting around and like, what if we just make a black sitcom? Or uh, sitcom. Soap opera. opera. We were doing sitcoms. You know what else I found in my life? And and let me me know if this is something you connect to, too. Mm -hmm. Because I found, I was a latchkey kid as well. My grandparents raised me and they both worked. Um, My grandfather was the head custodian for the building that we lived in, which is 12-story high rise. Mm -hmm. Uh, And my grandmother was like a cashier at Kmart. They both work every, you know, every weekday, I guess. Uh, and I guess my grandmother sometimes worked on weekends, too. But anyway, uh, my grandfather picked us up from school, and he'd still be on the clock. So we get home at 3 o'clock, and uh, it's just, you know, 3 to 5 or 6 or whatever he got home. Mm. And then he would go pick her up from work, too. So oh. it was a long afternoon. Yeah, yeah. You know? Interesting. So, you know, getting very, very, very intimate with cartoon scheduling you know what i mean like knowing exactly when they begin when they end what's on what channel and then after that like okay what do i do you know what i mean like yeah so and 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 cable at that time okay i remember that's funny there was a you remember this network called the Comedy Channel before even Comedy Central no, started? No, of course. Yeah. I was there from the very beginning, yeah, sir. Yeah, yeah. It was the Comedy Channel, <laughs> yes. and there was Ha! <laughs> and they they merged, Okay. and that became Comedy Central. See, I didn't even know that. They merged and became Comedy Central. I can rem- you know, so I used to watch all that stuff and all these old sitcoms on Fox and all the stand-up that used to be yes. on. There was a lot of stand-up on there TV. Was so much stand-up And at the beginning of Comedy Central slash Comedy Channel, or Ha!, there was the A-list, mm-hmm. and the A-list was very, very formative for me because we also had HBO. Right. We had HBO and Showtime, so like the things I that I connected to yeah. were movies and TV, and I somehow, and it was because of watching Nick at Night and watching um, Laugh-In. I used to watch a ton of Laugh-In. I used to watch all of Nick at Night right? stuff. Which is why working with Lily Tomlin is actually a very big deal for me. Wow. Because I actually did watch Laughing from a young age, and I thought she was the funniest thing in the world. Then watching the original Saturday Night Live, mm-hmm. and Richard Pryor was a host all the time. They wanted Richard Pryor on as much as they could get him, <laughs> and I immediately gravitated towards Pryor. And then Eddie Murphy when Eddie Murphy was on. So then it's like these became the things that I connected to. But that said. I totally forgot what we were talking about. <laughs> um, well, I was I was bringing all that up to say, I like I can remember watching a lot of like, particularly Jewish stand up comics. Hmm. A lot of like, well, and and that's the thing about the A list. Maybe that's what I was going to say is that there was a real variety, and then having HBO, there was Def Comedy Jam, right? But I mean, you know, I used to 
like I used to watch a ton of like Gallagher and he's not Jewish, but I used to watch, I used to really get excited when Gallagher specials came on. Like those were really oddly informative for me. I always hated Gallagher. I now I know I, where we're Gallagher, different. Man. Oh, that's it. <laughs> I'm also learning where we're different. <laughs> yeah. But, but like specifically with shows like the A-list or evening at the improv mm -hmm. all of those those shows used to come on like a and e and bravo and then the and, hbo like one night stands right and, and the mtv half hour comedy hour yeah yeah all of that and so like i remember watching a lot of like richard lewis yeah and, richard lewis and um you know and and um gary shandling of course shandling um belzer and and <laughs> very new york stand-up comics yeah and and i feel like at some point i kind of downloaded that mm. that humor that kind of humor like that aesthetic like that nervous kind of like but then when did you get to hip-hop mm. in the middle of this because look this is the thing you asked me what we connected to right and while that stuff was happening around us and i realized that i connected hard to comedy which is why i'm a comedian right which is why i try to do a version of comedy that's very emotional because it's like I'm doing a tribute to a parent of mine yeah. and I'm trying to expand the business and I would assume and it was very therapeutic and emotional for me to be a participant in comedy right. which is why I try to put that out there and I would assume for you it would be hip hop see close now okay um, I would say I probably connected to TV comedy before anything now Right, but that's what I'm saying. Yeah, now, now. So that was already in there, and then you got to hip-hop no, somewhere. Well, well, I got to MTV first. And what that meant at that particular time in the mid to late 80s, going into the early 90s, mm -hmm. was this alternative music. Mm. And like grunge and college rock. Okay. Like MTV's 120 Minutes. Yeah, yeah, I like, remember that. That was, that was it for me. That was like feeding my soul. Interesting. Because like, I, I have a... Um, older stepsister I used to come out here for the summers and I had an older stepsister and she was heavily into rap so you heard a lot of rap that way my mom was heavily into rap and I was like okay rap rap is cool okay. I and mostly mostly I remember just giggling at curse words back then when it came to rap you know what I mean okay like my mom was actually the first person to play like the first rap music I ever heard I got in a car with my mom when I was like seven or eight years old yeah and she was playing Easy es first album Wow, cruising down the street like that. Yeah, cruising down the street in, in my, my six, six foe. Yeah. yeah. Um. So. Wow. Yeah, my mom was. It was R and B for her. Okay. Now my it, mom. It was R and B for her. You, you couldn't. You couldn't take her uh, Anita Baker and Sade away from her either. <laughs> like that was definitely going okay. on. But she was also in the rap. Like my mom was like, my mom was like an '80s kind of in the streets lady. Okay. You know what I mean? She had like. Lines on the side. The same lines I have right now. Okay. She had those. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Okay. Um, so your mom was listening to rap. And yeah. so that, so and in a sense. My stepsister was listening to rap. That was, so your rap was, that was your parents' music in a way. In a, in, a, in a weird sense. I didn't feel connected to it early on at all. Mm. I actually felt more connected to like alternative music. Okay. Because I grew up, I used to just look at MTV. And I remember in the 80s, there was like uh, just about every video all day long was like the hair bands. Okay. And I'm like, okay, this Molly Crew song is kind of cool or whatever. You know what I mean? Interesting. Now, here's my question to you. Sure. Because something that was important to me about A-List was that 
having Def Comedy Jam at the exact same time, seeing that Def Comedy Jam was sort of what was for black people, mm-hmm. right? But then watching the A-list and seeing comics of a lot of different colors, and then seeing people I actually had seen on Def Comedy Jam, then doing sets on the A-list and doing something that's totally different and cleaner, if you will. Mm-hmm. When I was watching more Comedy Central comedy, I wasn't seeing a lot of people of color. Right. And then I was watching Def Comedy Jam, that's where all the people of color were, as far as I was concerned, people who looked like me. And I was like, well, what's, is there anything in between this? Mm. Because there were a lot of people in Def Comedy Jam that I loved, and then a lot of it, I'm like, that's not for me. And then the same on the other channels, right? But I was looking for something that was in between those two right. things. Right. And then In Living Color happened. Oh, yes. And that was like sketch comedy, which I also did love because I saw Pryor and Saturday Night Live exactly. first before I saw him as a comedian. So I'm wondering watching all of those like metal bands mm-hmm. and alternative music where you don't see a lot of people of color like do you register like that being a thing for you because i didn't register that being a thing for me at the time but now i look at like oh there was no representation for me in the stuff that i was really watching and the stuff that was supposed to be for me was the stuff i was like i like some of this right and was that like like that for you for music i gotta say and i think this might be another difference between us okay because you were primarily in vegas and i don't what was like, what kind of people did you grow up around? Okay, well, Vegas um, was, uh, I want to say, territorialized okay. by the Bloods and Crips. Really? So Right, right, right. I do remember hearing about the that. The Bloods and Crips were around mm-hmm. because enough people had moved from South Central and Compton and Inglewood and Watts to sure. Vegas mm-hmm. that they brought that shit with them. And so there were some gangs in Vegas already, I think, like Latino gangs and some of them extensions of the L.A. gangs as well. Right. But so Vegas had a little bit of a gang problem. It wasn't as vicious as L.A., but that threat of you might get shot, you might be be near a drive by, all that stuff was there, was in the air. Right. So with that came Los Angeles hip hop. Mm. With that came the soundscape of it was Dre and Snoop. And then when Bone came out, Bone was big in Vegas. Right. They did really well. That's why I know a lot of the words to a lot. Because when first of the month, I specifically remembered that. Tupac, mm-hmm. Tupac, 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 of Tupac. Course, of course. Vegas was Tupac's territory. That's why he was shot there. But, <laughs> um, <laughs> but okay, when you're like in elementary school, yeah. right? Like, are you in school with a lot of black kids? Yeah, well, at first, the first neighborhood I was in was black and Latino kids. Okay. And then the second neighborhood, when we moved closer to the Strip, because my mom had a job at the Strip, mm-hmm. but working at the Mirage, we moved closer to the Strip, and then it was black, Latino, and Asian. Interesting. But, but more than anyone else, Vietnamese and Filipino. So I was very aware. We had some other Southeast Asian kids, but like it was a lot of Vietnamese and a lot of Filipino, kind of right on top. I was probably at the border of where the black Latino neighborhood became the Vietnamese Filipino neighborhood. Got it. And I was sort of right there. So I had friends from all of, all over those sides. So there were a lot of black people in school with me. Yeah. Okay. So you but, had like a lot of black friends. Yes. Yeah. And, but more Latin than anything else. Yeah. Like I had a lot of Latin friends and there were a couple of black friends. And then there were, of course, like there was mixing as well. Mm -hmm. But like probably when I was younger, my closest friends were like was Jose one, Jose two, (laughs) Raymundo, Tony Tran. 
And at some point in there was like my friend Fred, who was white, right. blonde, blue-eyed, and Norman, who was uh, Costa Rican. Wow. So it was like... Yeah, you're a little, you're a little United Nations yeah. kind of thing happening. Yeah. Got it. Like, my situation... Uh, now, this is when I'm growing up with my grandparents. These are like my formative years, the ones that were most stable, so the ones I remember most. Um, I was on the south side of Chicago, and the elementary school that I went to for the, from first to fourth grade or fifth, it was like nestled in the projects. Mm. Um, so my experience was very much informed by like, Okay, there's hip hop around me. I'm surrounded by black people. Family's black. Everybody's black. It's very dangerous. Um, right, the feeling of danger on the streets. I mean, like crack was happening in front right. of, in front of my eyes. Like, yeah, we didn't have. I don't know if we had crack. I think there was a little bit of crack in Vegas. Yeah, but it's just like the territory stuff seemed to be the most important to everything. Like right. they were still trying to figure out how to take over Vegas. Yeah, yeah to yeah. get the crack game in there harder. Yeah. Yeah. But there was already crack and heroin and meth. Mm-hmm. But like that was just sort of like a pocket of that happening. But anyway, you were I mean, saying. It was, it was like I, in your face. I had a, when I was in the third grade, we had a student in the back of the room. Uh, he was like kind of leaning back in his chair. Yeah. We just heard this crash. And he just like passed out and like hit his head on the back wall and like was just laying. And, and, you know, he ended up having to go to the hospital. And apparently, his like he his system was full of cocaine like he had like some i don't know if it was an older brother or somebody was serving somebody around him but he had filled his body with cocaine and just kind of like overdosed basically oh in class you know what i mean wow. so it was like it was all of the stuff that was in hip-hop like it's you know what i mean it was, it was like here right <laughs> there you know what i mean so when i turn on the television like I wasn't really trying to see that, you know what You're I mean. You're trying to to escape from it. Uh, in a, in a sense, yeah. I was no. try, I was trying to learn about other things. <laughs> you know what I mean. And it's the same for me because yeah. I was a very indoor kid. Me too. Because everybody made me feel like, you know, because oh, so and so would have a gun or a knife at school, yeah. and then I'm like, wait, so and so who sits in front of me in math class? <laughs> like, yeah, you can't talk to him today. I'm like, Damn. what are you talking about? I was helping out with this math homework. Maybe I shouldn't help him out with his math homework today. Then I'll leave him alone. No, maybe you should I'll definitely be like, uh, help him. <laughs> Hiram, do you need help with your? Uh... I don't know if that was his name. I don't remember. <laughs> I just Hiram, said the... Hiram is an odd name. To that pull is out a, of there's a. There was some kids. Wow. <laughs> but it's like that was there, but it wasn't like that present. Yeah. Like it was like there was just miscellaneous danger, mm-hmm. but like, and because I and I also wanted to like escape from it myself so it was like i stayed inside and then tv 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 and so when it comes to representation yes uh, i wasn't necessarily like conscious really of looking for black people really because i was just surrounded by no no no, but but that's the thing is that like it's not even that you're looking for black people it's that you're seeing the people doing that thing yeah yeah. and then you're like well none of them really look like me am i allowed over there interesting enough that makes me think of the band living color (laughs) <laughs> that was also very present at that time. And um like I remember looking on TV, you know, watching, you know, probably 120 minutes and seeing them and thinking like, oh, that's cool. <laughs> you know what I mean? But not even at the time really even connecting with their stuff. You know what I okay. mean? 
Like, I almost felt like. Do you remember? Did you were you aware of Fishbone at all? No, I didn't get aware of Fishbone until far later. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Far Fishbone later. wasn't until college to me. Like nobody yeah. told me about Fishbone. Yeah, they weren't. It's interesting because I went back. You know, I watched a documentary recently, and I and I was looking like, oh yeah, they never really had that hit. Yes, and, and it was very much happening in California as right. well. It was, it was regional, yeah. right? So I'm in Chicago, and you know, uh, West Coast stuff. Other than like. I'm, the era I connect to most was really when Seattle was happening. Okay. And then... In With the grunge of, scene. Right. And then in terms of like college radio alternative, it was like a lot of like... like I don't know. That's when I discovered like They Might Be Giants and R.E.M. and the Pixies. Actually, it was like Frank Black and the Breeders at that point. Like it was, I had kind of missed the Pixies. Hmm. But I'm seeing like... It's 92, 93. You know what I mean? And I'm kind of yeah. like, oh, this stuff is so cool. Um, now, hip-hop wise, I got really excited when I got exposed to the native tongues, that's okay. what really, that's what, that's what struck you. That's what drew me. And that's what made me feel like, Oh, I can be a part of that because these guys, um, these guys dress weird and they're, and they're, they're, they seem peaceful. They seem like cool. Yeah. yeah you know what I mean? Yeah. And their sounds were more melodic, which is what attracted me to this other, to like rock music at the time was I liked the melodies. Mm. You know what I mean? Okay. So like, oh, these guys, they sample, I don't know about sampling, but like all their beats are like jazzy and, and, and they sound It was cool. a different soundscape. Yeah. A, and a different look, different aesthetic, different values. It seemed more closely connected that's, to mine. That's exactly what, because Vegas was so steeped in West Coast. Yeah. And there weren't a lot of people who I felt were representing what I was interested in. Right. And I could hear the glorification of certain things, even though like I recognize skill when I hear it. Right. But it wasn't like, well, I'm going to go buy that dude's album and put that in my head. Right. And it wasn't until later for me that that was the case as well for hip hop. Like, probably college. Yeah. I mean, I didn't really get deep, deep, deep into hip hop till high school. Like... Yeah, I never, I, I didn't get deep into. I don't think I've ever gotten that, that deep into it though. That's interesting. That's the other thing. But you a closet rapper though. <laughs> <laughs> I could, I can only imagine. How, is that a real term? Yeah, well, in in rap in the rap world, it is. And you can, you can like you can tell if somebody raps. You know what I mean? Even if they don't do it in front of people, you can kind of tell. Yeah, I'm raps. a closet rapper, but that also, and that means that I have no idea if I actually have any skill or not, and I write it for myself. And I, I just like playing with words. When's the, last, when's the last time you wrote a rap? Like, how long ago was it? Semi-recently. I'm always weeks. coming up with stuff. Interesting. And I'll just write it down, and sometimes I'm like, I start writing it, and I just kind of write it down. I mean, we met at a, rap, at a rap event. We did. You were very much rapping in public very well. Which I never do. I mean, that show specifically... Which is like a, a freestyle rap battle amongst comedians. Right. That I was, that I smoked. That Mike was in. I and infiltrated. I, and I didn't know you. And I was like, oh, this is new comedian. I don't know. <laughs> and then I, someone's like, no, he's actually a rapper. I'm like, oh, that's why he was so good up yeah, there. I thought he was just really funny. Um, but I try to rap at those things, which is why I always lose. So you, you connected to comedy. Mm hmm. And then when did you start actually doing comedy? Um, it wasn't until I was in college. Okay. Because I didn't know that you could do it. Okay. You know, I think a lot of people come to comedy and at first your simplistic understanding of it is how these people are just so funny that they're going up there and just talking. Right. 
How did they? How do they get that funny? You don't learn about the craft. I don't. No one, because you don't know about joke writing, and I'm just like, wow, these people are going on stage and are being that funny off the top of their heads. That's how I understood it. And it wasn't until later that I started to hear, like, no, actually, there's a skills set. You actually write jokes. You figure it out. And I'm like, oh, I've always been doing that. I've always been writing down funny ideas hmm. and just thinking that I have to get so good at being off the top of my head that these funny ideas, like, I always have to have, like, a stable of funny ideas, but didn't know about the development until I got to college. Right. And started going to open mics in, now, in Boston. were you doing, did you start out doing, trying to, like, doing black rooms or did you start out? Would like where did where did you get a foothold or where, what kind of things did you try? And that's like three questions in one. Yeah. But. Well, you know, first off, I went to a performing arts high school in Vegas. Okay. Okay. That's I was a, important. That is important because I was attracted to the theater because I was attracted to comedy, Got and it. I went, oh, people on the stage saying things—that's the same. So you uh, started acting in high school. Yes. Okay. And then I went to college for acting. Oh. I went to theater school. Okay. For college. So you are seriously a trained I'm a trained dude. Wow. And it's only really now I'm starting to understand why training. <laughs> because I was 18, what do I know? And then they're like, we're going to give you this. You'll get it in 10 years. Wow. But they kind of knew that some people were going to get it and some people weren't and some people were going to get it in their own time and some people were going to get it right away. And I didn't get it until like a couple years ago. I'm like, "Oh, I totally understand acting for the first time for real." Do you are you like confident as an actor? Like, do you feel like you're a good actor? Yes. Yeah, I, I think so too. I do because I also know now that the job of an actor isn't necessarily feeling that you're good at it. What is it? It's feeling that you can do it. Hmm. It's being, it's, it's, I don't think that an actor is supposed to know whether or not they can pull off a role. They're just supposed to, they're just supposed to be fearless enough to they're try They're supposed it. to be open and what they're trying to do is not do it well, not do it good, but to do it, right. which is just who is this person? How are they relating to these? Like the kind of the skill set of creating a character. Right. You shouldn't know if you can pull it off. Right. If you know you can pull it off, that's fine. But like, I think that part of the challenge of acting is not knowing whether or not you can do it and kind of rising to the task of it. Do you love acting? I do love it. Yeah. Do you love it more or less than stand-up comedy? It's different. It's Just a different completely love. different. I think stand-up is... I probably love stand-up more than anything else hmm. because it is unmitigated in the moment experience. Is your stand-up a character? Everyone's stand-up is a character. Interesting. Um, they're just either People are just either aware of it or not. So it's like... I'm playing a person on stage based on myself. What's that person like? Um, it's the more louder, more energetic parts of my personality. The guy who sings a lot out of nowhere. <laughs> you know, the guy who is taking the light in what he's saying and how he's saying it. Those, those are the aspects of me. Like my boisterousness, hmm. my imagination, this child that I've been for so long that I get to kind of be again when I'm on stage. When you were a child, were you loud, boisterous in school? Oh yeah, huh. oh yeah. Like I was a loud kid <laughs> because I wanted to say things, you know? Now you I'm knowing I it's mean, like I had this means of expression and I could make people laugh. But it also sounds like you kind of wanted to be seen. Of course I wanted to be seen. Yeah. And I wanted to be seen in a way that I controlled. Right. That's what, that's what attracts people to com comedy. Oh, you can laugh at me, but I'm gonna decide why. Uh. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're, you're controlling the mockery you think is going to be coming your way. Wow. 
And I got made fun of when I was a kid, but it never really bothered me that much because I just didn't think that people were funny. It's just sort of like, like, oh, your mom, blah, blah, blah. And they're saying jokes that I heard on TV. I'm like, that's not yours. Like, that's the quality that that's the standard I had in fifth grade of just like you're saying something that somebody else said. Was, was, were there times when you were a kid that you can remember actually getting your feelings hurt by anything? Oh, yeah, of course. Like what? You mean like um, like anything getting my feelings hurt? Um, yeah, I mean, I, 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 you know, I developed a very um, I want to say hard exterior. That's what it seems. But like I tried to like let yeah. things go quickly. But yeah, things that hurt my feelings. Um, I mean, of course, my mom hurt my feelings right, a lot. Right, right. And she had a, a, she thought I was messy. Like, that's what I'm saying. We lived in a mess. Mm. But I was the only one who got yelled at for it. Wow. Because she was on a substance. Mm-hmm. So then that anxiety would come out onto me. And she would, I specifically remember. Um, one time that I went to sleep and I woke up, <laughs> I woke up, the light was on in my room. I'm like, what, why is the light on? And I heard, Aah! I was like, what is that? And I look up and my mom is vacuuming just over anything in my floor. Wow. I just had stacks of crap on my floor and she's just, vacuum- and she's just running a vacuum over all of it. Oh. And I'm just like, what? And I woke up and I got out of the bed, bunk bed. Okay, me and my grandmother had bunk beds. Don't, oh, that's ill. That's as much as I will tell you. That's ill. Had the top bunk. Get down out the bunk bed. I go to the wall. I unplug it. Mm. How old are you? I'm maybe 13, 14. Got it. And I unplug it, and I take it from my mom, because she's looking at me like, what's happening? And I take it from her, and I go out into the living room, open this little sliding like patio door to the parking lot of our apartment complex, Walked outside, swung in a circle, and hurled it into the parking lot. You, the if vacuum? The, the vacuum cleaner. Shit. This is like a, a big one? Or yeah, like... a full-size vacuum cleaner. <laughs> you have the strength of a grown man. I had the strength of angry, <sighs> and I was sleeping, <laughs> and I was hurt. Right. Because this is her saying, I don't care about any of your stuff. Right. I don't like that it's here. Right? And I probably took that as, I don't like that you're here. Mm. And in a sense, I'm saying I am, I'm here, me throwing that into the parking lot, and I went back to bed. Wow. wow. Right? So that's something I remember being like, okay, this is coming from a hurt place, mm. right? Because when I look back at it, this, this stuff, I have to see, like, I now understand emotional complexity. You don't when you're growing up. Right. You just have all this stuff happening, and you just get to the next moment, right? right. But now I'm looking back and seeing how complex things were and seeing how this came from fear, this came from hurt, stuff like that, because these are the patterns that I keep living out. So these are the things that I'm trying to kind of understand about myself. We are hosting a show tonight. Yes, we are. hosting a show tonight. Yep. Called The New Negroes. The New Negroes. Um, How long have we been talking? Too long? Yeah, definitely. But uh, <laughs> I did want to, before, before mm-hmm. we uh, conclude, or as we conclude, I wanted you to tell people about that show. Well, the new Negroes is—it's um, an idea I had, and it's nothing that's new. Like you know, we talked about in Living Color a little bit. Robert Townsend was somebody, almost like maybe the Native Tongues was for you. Mm-hmm. Robert Townsend might have been like that for me. Seeing Hollywood, Hollywood Shuffle, Shuffle was everything, and then um, seeing—he had these series of specials on HBO called Partners in Crime, mm-hmm. and it was like some sketch 
And I'd never seen sketch like that before. And also stand-up. So you'd have, and it was people that went on to become in living color. So it was a collection of people. And I was always, effect, I was always like, wow, Robert Townsend like kind of captured a moment that was happening at that time right. in comedy. So the New Negroes is my attempt to do something like that. And a couple other, I've been in, involved in different incarnations of a similar idea. But my version of it is, it's no longer like we're a bunch of new people that are doing this. A lot of us have been doing this for a long time. We've, we've created a skill set around an idea of comedy that's a little bit more experimental than what you might expect from a black comedian. Mm -hmm. That's a little bit more like what I see alternative rap to kind of be. Right. And I say alternative with quotation marks because labels. Sure. But it's a comedy version of that, you know, alternative black comedy. And people coming from there, like they're talking about their experience in a very different way. Mm -hmm. um, and people have been doing that for years now. So now there's this group of people, comedians, that fit this idea. And there's the people who are before this idea that fit the idea. That they've been doing it like this for years, but there wasn't a place for them. Right. And so the New Negroes is my attempt to create a place for... Because also I think there's a lot of black people that I know that think they don't like comedy hmm. because what's afforded to them as black people, because they don't want to watch a bunch of white people, but then they also, when they see like black comedy, they're just kind of like, ah, it doesn't really speak to me though. I mean, it's the same with rap, right? Like turn on the radio and think that that's all that there is. Right. And right. it makes people, you know, because of whatever their lives are, just not investigate and go like, nah, comedy's not for me. Right. Those are the black people that I think would like <laughs> The New Negroes. I also took that title from a book from the Harlem Renaissance that was the same thing. Right. That was a collection of writers and thinkers at the time that created the Harlem Renaissance. All together one place and sort of like, this is happening. You didn't know it was happening, but it's happening. And we do this uh, every last Last Sunday. Sunday at the UCB Franklin. Right. Cool. Well, I wanted to... Plug it? Yeah, a little <laughs> totally a, a long form totally, <laughs> advertisement. To, totally fine, mate. <laughs> but uh man, this is uh sobering talk. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Um Yeah, cathartic, if if that's not too intense of a word to use. It's very intense, but it's appropriate. Yeah. Um and I appreciate you sitting down with me and on opening up like that, man. I've been waiting for you to ask me to do this. <laughs> I was like, I can't force it on him. He'll you, ask me when he asks you me. You could ask me <laughs> anytime, Baron. Yeah, man. That was my talk with Baron Vaughn. Catch him on Grace and Frankie on Netflix. Catch our show, The New Negroes, that we co-host in Los Angeles. And maybe soon to be other places other than Los Angeles. Yeah. Oh, man. We're getting close, man. Next week is the season finale. Got a very special guest. Can't wait to share that conversation. And we're going to take a break for a while. Because it's good to take breaks. Yeah, man. A man can only talk in his closet for so many consecutive weeks. Before he starts to lose his mind. Um... Thank you guys for listening and supporting, supporting our sponsors, supporting a podcast by rating and reviewing on iTunes. Please do that. If you have not, please subscribe. 
please rate please leave a review all that stuff helps us out helps us bring this show to you for free we got big plans for how we're going to bring the show back you got to keep it warm for us out there yeah see you guys soon talk soon catch me one of these rap shows good evening <laughs>